Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Domenico Ochanto. Uh, he's a uh, professor of parasitic diseases. He's also the head of the Department of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Bari in Italy. And we're going to talk about uh, his research. So, Domenico, thanks for coming. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Good morning. Buongiorno. And thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here today yeah. at the Finding Genius Podcast. Yep. So tell me about your, your background. What got you into working with uh, veterinary medicine and parasites? So I'm professor of parasitic disease uh, of animals at the Department of Veterinary Medicine at University of Bari. Bari is in southern Italy. But I also teach parasitology at the Faculty of Human Medicine. And uh, I mainly work with my research team on parasites of pets uh, of zoonotic concern parasites which are transmitted by animals to humans and vice versa. And we also have a PhD course, an international one in animal health and zoonosis, which is really important in this, in this subject. And within the, the parasites transmitted to humans from dogs and cats, we are mainly focused on vector-borne diseases, which is a, quite a concern in, in a Mediterranean area. Uh, so uh, I graduated at, uh, as a veterinarian uh, at University of Bari and obtained a PhD in parasitology some years ago, I would say. And uh, I traveled also for research in France and in Germany, working on, uh, on uh, arthropod vectors and uh, doing something of more that could be done here in, uh, in Italy. So this is uh, my background. So when you say vectors, does that mean uh, mosquitoes, uh, bites from other animals? Like, what are the common vectors for the parasites you see? Yeah, vectors, it means all arthropods, which may transmit pathogens, viral, bacterial, protozoa, hamlins, to any uh, vertebrate host. And uh, uh, I mean uh, mosquitoes, but also sandflies, which transmit uh, leishmaniasis, uh, or also uh, ticks, uh, which are uh, amongst the most important vectors uh, because they transmit many uh, pathogens to uh, of, um, veterinary medicine and uh, medical concern, but also lice, for example. So there are many vectors uh, which may feeding on the host also transmit pathogens. These are so there's a lot of uh, parasites out there. Which ones do you focus on? I'm focused mainly on uh, Leishmaniasis by Leishmanian phantom, which is a protozoan disease transmitted by sandflies, which are tiny insects, and uh, also on filaroids uh, like Dariofilarimitis and Dariofilarorepens, uh, which are transmitted by mosquitoes. But I also worked on vector-borne diseases transmitted by tick, tick-borne diseases. So I would say that uh, the, the most important parasites here in the Mediterranean areas are uh, Leishmania, 
infantum transmitted by sunflies and also the filaria. Uh, so these are the main topics of uh, my uh, of the research uh, we carried out we carry out in, uh, here in uh, Bali. Yeah. So we could yes. start with leishmania. You said it's transmitted by sandflies. What what animals get it and what happens to them? Yes. The main host uh, for Leishmania infantum uh, are dogs, but the Leishmania may also infect cats uh, and other uh, hosts like uh, foxes uh, and also rats, rodents, uh, and uh, uh, they may also inf- transmit, uh, they may also infect humans. So these are the main hosts, even if uh, uh, dogs are the main host and the, the reservoir of the infection as well. Uh, we, for example, very recently found for and the reported for the first time the infection also in tigers in southern Italy. It was published in Emerging Infection Disease. It was quite interesting because that demonstrated that where there is endemicity of this infection, all animal species, carnivores, may be uh, infected by Leishmania infantum. So it's quite important. Do people ever get Leishmania? And if so, how? Humans may uh, be infected by Leishmania, by different species of Leishmania. We have 22 species of Leishmania. Most of them are also zoonotic. I would say that the most important species is Leishmania infantum. So this is quite important to define and to clearly state that humans are not, do not get infected by dogs, but they are infected through the, infa- the sandfly bites, after that, these uh, tiny uh, insects had a blood meal on dogs. So pick the Leishmania on dogs, and after a biological life cycle which completes in the sandflies, they may ultimately transmit, eventually transmit the, the pathogen to uh, humans. So this is quite important because we do know that preventing the infection in dogs may also be an important means for controlling the infection in humans. And uh, this is quite important uh, because just consider that in some areas of the world, they, there is the misconception of dark culling for controlling uh, uh, canine uh, leishman, uh, human leishmaniasis, which is not uh, true, is not uh, the best means for reducing the risk of human leishmaniasis. So what happens when a, a dog gets leishmania? What happens to them? So that's a, a, an important question, because in endemic areas, uh, we do, not, we do not have uh, clinical signs which are typical pathognomonic for uh, this infection. We may have a range of of clinical signs from asymptomatic animals, animals which do not show any clinical signs apparently, to uh, severely severely infected and severely diseased uh, and animals. So, uh, for example, the, in uh, animals which display clinical uh, uh, signs, we may have uh, alopecia, we may have weight loss, lymphadenomegaly, and uh, an animal, a dog, is uh, like and looks like an old dog. Even if it's, uh, for example, two years of age, it looks like uh, uh, has, it is an old, an old dog. 
This is uh, typical in, uh, in canine, for canine leishmaniasis. Uh, but meanwhile, we may have many asymptomatic animals. So this is really an important concern considering the prevention of human leishmaniasis, because even if in, uh, in uh, asymptomatic animals, uh, even if for asymptomatic animals, the same flies may uh, have a, a blood feed on uh, blood feeding on these animals and then transmit the infection to humans. So it's really important to, to diagnose these infection in endemic areas and to know how to manage the control and the prevention of the infection. Is the parasite multicellular? Is it single cellular? What is it? Zoa parasite it is a unicellular parasite which usually uh, uh, replicates in the, in the macrophages of hosts and uh, as amastigotes. And then uh, as soon as they are in the vector, they replicate by binary system in more parasites uh, with the flagellum, which is uh, uh, promastigotes. The promastigotes are in the infective, the infective form of the parasite. Yeah. So it stays in the macrophages of the dog. Does it go into other tissues, or what is? It? Does it stop the dog's immunity or ruin its immune system? What does it do? Yes, and this is uh, the differences uh, in the uh, presentation of clinical signs is due to the different uh, uh, immune reaction that any dogs may any dog may exert to these uh, to the infection. Indeed, these parasites uh, immune uh, causes uh, an immune depression of the immune system in some way, and also we have also in uh, hypergamma globulinemia, which is uh, an hyperproduction of antibodies, and so we may have uh, a different. Uh, uh, clinical signs related with the immune complexes uh, which deposit in different organs. So you may see, you, you see that these parasites uh, may cause different presentation, clinical presentation, because it depends on the immune reactiveness of the host. And it's the same for humans. Well, what is the treatment for dogs? Like you said, they seem like old dogs. I guess they have low energy. And do they look different? And, and how do you treat them? What can you do? In uh, animals for prevention of uh, of the sandfly, the sand, for preventing sandfly bites, usually may have very good devices, uh, which are uh, uh, represented by pyrethroids in different formulations, uh, colors, spot-ons, uh, and uh, these pyrethros repel the uh, sand flies and prevent the, the bites of dogs. So this is the best way for preventing the infection. Otherwise, we have uh, uh, antiprotozoal treatment in diseased animals, uh, but I would say that in endemic area, it's much better preventing than uh, tre treating animals, treating dogs. Yeah. Do the dogs die of leishmania or just, yeah. you know, yeah. what happens to them? Yeah, sometimes if they are not treated, they may die. They may die. Yeah, it's quite severe infection. So, so what are you hoping to figure out about uh, this parasite and others? Like what, what aspect are you studying and why? So for these parasites, we mainly work on uh, prevention. 
Indeed, uh, we uh, had the opportunity over the last uh, years, uh, 20 years, to work with different preventative measure, measures. And uh, we uh, had experience uh, with the powerful of different uh, uh, preventative measures for reducing the risk of infection of Leishmanian phantom in uh, dogs, mainly in sheltered dogs, which is quite important. If you consider that uh, we have a global population of domestic dogs of 703 million of animals, uh, you uh, may imagine, you may figure out how is important uh, the prevention in the micarias for these uh, for these uh, protozoa disease. And these animals, uh, that's quite important to be considered, are not only infected or, or uh, potential blood uh, uh, source for uh, sunflies, but also for ticks, which transmit tick-borne diseases. And amongst other, we have uh, bacteria, which are quite important also for human, like Rickettsia uh, conori, the, uh, the causative agent of the Mediterranean, Mediterranean spotted fever, or Rickettsia rickettsii in, in, uh, in North America, the causative agent of Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So it's quite important, the prevention is quite important in these endemic areas. And uh, I will say that uh, if you consider that uh, the shelter dogs have the highest parasitic uh, infection rate compared, for example, with shepherd of household dogs, is quite important also uh, uh, for uh, in different socioeconomic context, economical context to prevent this infection. Because these uh, diseases, Leishmaniasis, uh, is uh, uh, the typical disease of, the, of poor countries or the poorest countries. So it's uh, quite important. And uh, uh, they're included in the, the so-called neglected tropical diseases. So in some way, our work is also inspired by a social commitment in doing what we do. I mean, we are parasitologists, we are veterinarians, but we are much more because when you, veterinarians and veterinary parasitologists do not, do, do not just do coprology, absolutely, I almost do not do coprology, but they work on different aspects of parasitic disease. And most importantly, our focus in, is on those parasitic diseases which are also transmitted to humans. So the social commitment is also quite important in our research as background of our researchers. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So what, what are some of the novel uh, things that are coming in your field? Are you able to do you know, deep sequencing of the protozoa, for instance? Or like, what do you think is going to make a difference? So we work usually on phylogeny of many parasites, vector bone, those that we mainly studies, study, and uh, on uh, uh, geographical phylogeny. And uh, also we have worked on... Uh, some on uh, models for predicting uh, some specific parasites. I think, if you like, I can give you an example. La, yes, go ahead. Uh, yes. One of the main parasites that I studied uh, over the last uh, over the last fifteen years uh, is Telatia callipeda, 
which is an eye worm that was known until the uh, until 1989 as oriental eye worm is a, a worm which uh, is uh, which is, which localizes and uh, perpetuate in the in the eye of in the eyes of dogs cats and also of humans so uh, this parasite was known as eye worms oriental eye worms because it was found in southern eastern was present prevalent in southern eastern asia uh, for a long time and uh, we uh, found that the first spot in europe in southern italy of these telatia calipeda eye worms in dogs in some rural areas in southern italy with prevalence of infection up to 54 percent in some villages so our first uh, our first question was whether it was just a coincidence in that area, in this re that remote area, or was a, a parasitic disease endemic for uh, Europe, for the whole continent. And uh, we immediately faced with the problem because we didn't know which was the vector, the insect, which vector is uh, nematode. And so we started our researches, and within five years in the field, we discovered that this vector is represented by a teeny, uh, very small uh, drosophilid, which names is Fortica variegata, which is a drosophilid with, which feed around the lacrimal secretions of dogs, cats, and also humans and transmits the, the infective stages, the third stage larvae of these parasites. That time, when uh, I started working on, the, on this uh, parasite and I found the, the vector of uh, Terazia calipeda, it, the infection was present and was, uh, we, was reported on, only in southern Italy. But uh, with some mathematical uh, models, we predicted that many areas of Europe would have been infected by, by uh, these parasites because uh, they were suitable for the development of this Fortica variegata. So, well, after about 20 years today, we know that uh, we have Fortica variegata in uh, Spain, France, in Portugal, in, uh, in Germany, uh, in Eastern countries in Europe. So today we know that the, the Terazia calipeda infection is also an European, is a, a European reality. Terazia is an European war with many cases also in humans. So this is a, an example on uh, how the research and our research is impacted on, uh, on knowledge of this parasite. And most importantly, we predicted that uh, that would have happen in the future. Only because, just because the, the biology is very simple and uh, the, uh, this, uh, the vector of Fortica variegata is uh, present all over Europe. So, you, can you may consider that uh, we have uh, animal transportation, so we may have also opportunities for new cases uh, in place where or in countries so that were previously, previously non-endemic, but in which we have the vectors. And so the infection has spread very easily through Europe. What's happened this year? Any big changes in 
who's getting infected and how because of you know the the COVID situation. And has it changed how many animals are getting infected by parasites or if they are? You, you mean considering the, the the transportation of animals or the limitation in transportation of animals? Yeah, just in general this year. Have you seen any big changes? In, in my work, my job, in my way of doing research and also in, uh, in uh, the subject of uh, in, uh, in the research I do on that. Yeah, uh, if it's uh, uh, correct, my, uh, my understanding of your question, I would say that uh, due to the limitations and the lockdown, limitation in the movements and lockdown, for sure, this kind of parasites, this kind of parasites do not have opportunity for spreading with animals uh, to other countries. But due to the lockdown, we have less traffic around in the Ningbo. Uh, we have uh, more uh, wild animals uh, coming into or around in the suburbs of the uh, towns. So we uh, could have more risk of infection with different parasites that we didn't experience at least in our, uh, in the urban areas. This is a, a, a something that is, has to be considered, has to be considered because uh, of uh, the increase in the population of foxes, for example, that are present in periurban areas and that roam around. Uh, and so uh, this is a scenario that could uh, change, uh, could have changed also during this period. As a researcher, I would say that uh, uh, our trips, uh, field trips uh, are decreased for sure a lot and uh, this may be a bad thing but uh, by the other hand uh, we had more opportunities for working uh, for studying uh, for uh, focusing on uh, our research uh, our results the results of our research so that was quite for me was a quite productive year in terms of publications and uh, of researches carried out in the lab of the parasites you're studying, which one to you is the most interesting and why? What about it? So that's a difficult question. That's a really difficult question because I would say that one of the, my, my favorite parasite was Telazia calipeda high worm because, I mean, I studied and I discovered the biological life cycle and the vector, but also, for example, another parasite which is quite important, in, in, which is interesting, is also Oncocerca lupi, which is a parasite that in 2011 uh, we found for the first time in Turkey uh, to infect human beings. Uh, Oncocerca lupi usually is a parasite which lives in the eye, inside the eye of dogs, but we demonstrated the zoonotic potential of these parasites, of this parasite. And after our first case in Turkey, many cases have been reported also in, in Greece, in North Africa, in United States as well. And uh, so, you know, our uh, research and spreading research 
and uh, uh, it's quite important for better knowing and uh, better appreciation of parasites that may, you may just uh, misdiagnose, you may not know. Other uh, parasites uh, which are quite nice to be studied, and I studied quite a lot, are feline lungworms, which are some parasites which are snail-borne parasites living in the lungs of dogs, of cats, sorry. And uh, that's interesting because uh, they represent a model for other uh, snail-borne diseases, such as those of humans caused by angiostrongylus, costaricensis and cantonensis. In that case, we demonstrated a new path of, this, of infection of uh, the third stage larvae, which are the infective larva stages, from a, a, a snail to another snail. And we called these, we named this new pattern of infection as intermediasis. Nowadays, we are studying, we are working a lot on synanthropic reptiles like geckos and lizards as a reservoir of pathogens such as Borrelia and Rickettsia. You know, we live in a world full of geckos, of lizards, but nobody works on, 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 on those reptiles because they are difficult also to be catch and also to to be uh, sampled. And uh, I find uh, a lot of potentiality on that uh, in this subject. And there was very is there, is there any, any animal that you know of that doesn't have parasites? Any creature? No, no, no. Wow. The, the parasites are everywhere. Also in our society, we, we had a spot in Italy for people who didn't pay uh, taxes and say, you are a parasite, a parasite of the society. Parasite is a concept. Parasite is everything eats or feed on, uh, on another host at the expenses of another host. So it's a very, very old concept. And it was also a mask in the Hansen Greek theater. And so parasite, every creature has a, a, a parasite. When parasite goes from one host to another, I know in some of them there's there's asexual reproduction, in some there's sexual reproduction. What other main differences do you see when parasites switch hosts? Uh, okay, sometimes sometimes uh, some parasites uh, are very specific. Other parasites are less specific, and the other uh, the pressure of the environment. Uh, also of other uh, selection factors, uh, they may uh, infect uh, more species of hosts. I can give you an example. Ixodes ricinus is uh, the tick, uh, the wood tick, which, is, uh, which feeds on small rodents at larvae and the larval and nymphal stages, but also reptiles. Then it feeds on almost all animal species, including humans. And so they transmit, in, that, in, in this way, they may transmit the bacteria which are, uh, for which the reptiles or the uh, rodents are typical reservoir. So, host in which uh, the parasite develops. 
so you see, they may also change, parasites may also change in their evolutionary history, the host and the host affiliation, but it depends on many factors uh, and uh, mainly if you consider that it happens uh, very slowly, we should live uh, at least four or five times uh, uh, our lives uh, for, for, having, for seeing a parasite which uh, which is which uh, uh, is a host, uh, definitive host. Well, very good, Domenico. What what do you think you're going to be able to figure out in the next few years? Are you getting close to understanding any particular mechanism or parasite? So we are uh, starting uh, uh, the vector. We are studying the vector of, uh, of these parasites of Oncocerca lupi, which uh, is uh, a parasite for which the biological cycle is not complete, for sure. We uh, have different, uh, different uh, uh, subjects to investigate. Scientists uh, should be, in my opinion, more involved in the politics of stakeholders, uh, decision-making, uh, and, uh, uh, and in the political decisions on some topical issues, such as, uh, for example, the management of dogs or cats in uh, a, a given environment. The role of also the veterinar- of, uh, of veterinarians or para- veterinary parasitologists should change quite a lot because uh, we should be considered and as we are. Because I I, for, I gave you an example. I I, I teach in, at university in the in the faculty of medicine. We should be considered much more under the frame of one health approach as a topical figure, professional figure for. Uh, working in the for doing this kind of or of public health politics what i am thinking to what what will be my favorite project or what i will probably do in my next years i don't know that i would love to study and to to learn and to uh, to know more on the role for example of reptiles as a reservoir of parasitic infections. And uh, again, consider that nobody knows about these uh, small creatures, but we have so many that uh, in nature, they, need, they must have some importance in the maintenance also of parasites. So this is something that is intriguing my my mind, and uh, I'm quite investing quite a lot on that. Uh, you need to uh, you need to get a grant that sends you to like the Galapagos Islands for a year, and you could study the parasites of all these unusual creatures. You'd probably love it. That that would be great. Any research research researcher would uh, be uh, happy to to work on that and uh, to to have a, a grant on that. And uh, 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 for example, that would be really nice to have uh, supported projects uh, in uh, in areas where uh, usually nobody invests. For example, in uh, in uh, in, uh, in Africa or in uh, other uh, developing countries. Just consider that one percent of research and development are invested in uh, in Africa compared to 40% in global research and development for veterinary parasitology funds in the United States. So that's quite important. 
and uh, and uh, I mean I do not complain about sounds, but uh, it's a nightmare to have to work on uh, that and to to have, to do applications continuously for uh, for having funds and for guarantee the uh, colleagues, young colleagues who work on, on uh, with me at the university. Very good, Domenico. Thank you for coming on the podcast and for your interest in what you do. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to you. And uh, keep in touch. Okay, thank you for interviewing and uh, yeah. all the best. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.